Welcome to episode 355 of X-Lapsed, and uh, I really tried to drag out that hey this time because, well, we, we really don't have a whole lot to talk about here, unfortunately. Uh, this is one of those episodes I have to start with uh, the old uh, X-Corp and uh, X-Men Green disclaimer. Uh, the issue we're going to discuss today is one I did not care for. Um, I really didn't like it. It was... One of the first issues that we've covered for this show that actually made me want to just stop. You know, I lost complete interest. I fell into skimming mode, which skimming mode has happened before. But uh, usually the case is where where I see myself or I feel myself begin to skim. I'll let myself skim. And then a couple hours later, I'll come back and I'll give it another read through and, and get a, you know, a deeper understanding of what it was that I skimmed over. This time, oof, uh, I think it took the fourth or fifth attempt to actually glean what I was supposed to get from this issue. It was just, this is not a good issue, in my opinion. In my opinion, I, uh, I, I'm not a hyperbolic man. <laughs> I'm not a provocateur in any way, but uh, this might be up there, in my opinion, with one of the, with some of the worst stuff we've read for the show. From the trappings that really just don't work for me, to the awful dialogue, to the abuse of the Marvel Wiki randomizer, to the art. Um, there really just wasn't much for me to appreciate in this, uh, in this book here. And I'm going to probably say Marvel Wiki randomizer an awful lot during this episode, so there's fair warning because, boy, Steve Orlando likes his obscure Marvel trivia. And uh, while I'm sure that does impress some people, it, it just speaks to insecurity for me. Uh, and I might be projecting. That is a possibility. It really strikes me as um, like Tom King over at DC just pulling like random stuff to try to see if he can get like the LOL random retweets. You know, it's like here's something very, very obscure. Uh, I have no basis or context for it, but here's obscure and I'm bringing it back. That's kind of the feeling I get here. Yeah, but we will we will get into it here. Like I said, fair warning, <laughs> I'm not positive on this book. I, I hate not being positive on this book, but uh, yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. So uh, with that said, um, if you read this issue and you loved it, if this was something you really enjoyed and you want more of it, that's great. Um, if hearing a contrasting opinion uh, or an opinion that doesn't line up with yours is somehow going to ruin your day, Maybe hit stop on your device because uh, I did not care for this one. So, 
Without any further vamping and ado, let's uh, let's get into it. Now this is Marauders Volume Two, Number Two, a June 2022 cover date, and it's called Extinction Agenda Part Two because we love reusing our names. Uh, written by Steve Orlando, with art by Eleonora Carlini, colors Matt Miller, letters VCs Ariana Mar and Clayton Cowles, designs Tom Muller, edits Amara White Sabolski. Cover price four dollars. This one went on sale allegedly May the fourth, 2022. Now we open in Newark, New Jersey, which I guess isn't the most evil area of the state. Uh, at least going by the lol random bits in the early issues of X-Men Volume 6 where we heard about the particularly evil area of New Jersey. Anyway, here Lockheed discovers... I don't know, some sort of like a rat king of bodies? Not sure it's still alive or if it's dead or if it's a pile. We don't really find out here anyway. Uh, of note, there is like a glowing neon X sign attached to a nearby building and like an X sculpture or candelabra-looking thing. Not sure what it might be a reference to. I'm assuming it's probably one of those X cults that popped up post-Hoxpox, uh, those mutant worshippers, the Orders of X or whatever they were calling themselves. I-, I think there were different sects, but maybe we can assume this is one of them. In any event, uh, this is the most interesting part of this issue, and it's, uh, well, it's over. So uh, let's shift scenes, and our next stop is Chandelar for more Shi'ar stuff. Um, Here we've got Delphos of the Kin Crimson explaining some stuff to Xandra. Now apparently, the Kin Crimson are, like, they're tasked with, like, spinning or burying certain problematic bits of Shi'ar history so that they don't become public knowledge. Uh, you know, kind of uh, the media spin, you know, and the history erase, erasure <laughs> to uh, make things a little bit less, uh, you know, problematic. Now, Zandra, being the good guy in this exchange, doesn't really think this is a productive, you know, way of doing things. Because, you know, of course, it's not the best way to do it, but conflict ain't just going to manifest itself, right? Now, Delphos mentions Deathbird having been abducted by the Sidri, and an editorial footnote encourages us to check out Secret X-Men number one. Your humble host encourages you not to because that issue sucked. Um, But you can listen to me talk all about it in episode 329 of this program. Uh, We do get a scene which I believe is supposed to be a projected premonition of Delphos's, um, where we see Deathbird fighting some elephants wearing crimson armor. The elephants are in the armor, not Deathbird. And when I first, uh, you know, scanned over this page, I thought for a second that Orlando's Marvel Wiki randomizer landed on the Mamomax page. So, but no, no, these are these are not him. Uh, anyway, there's talk about the first blood spilled, which we heard about last issue, and I'm still not totally sure what this is a reference to. I think it's hearkening back to, uh, you know, ancient mutants, the first mutants, uh, who the Shi'ar may have done nefarious things to. And when I say... The first mutants or ancient mutants, I don't mean those other first mutants or those other, other, other first mutants, uh, because, I mean, this is a current year Marvel comic, and so everything we thought we knew was wrong, right? In any event, this whole first blood spilled thing, the Marauders mustn't discover the truth about it, or something. From here, double page spread of roll call and cred. Our characters today include Call Me Kate, Bishop, Psylocke, Dakin, Dakin. Aurora without the roll eyes, Somnus, Tempo, and Cassandra Nova. We are back to comics, and uh, I probably should mention the art here. Um, this kind of looks like we're reading like X-Men Unlimited Volume 2 
you know, where they brought X-Men Unlimited back for, like, new artists, and it looked like every single issue was full of, like, stuff off deviant art, like manga-inspired art that was just a little bit wonky. Uh, we're in, like, full-on demented Cupid doll mode here, just like last issue. Anyway, we're here. The Marauders are here, and they're in a heated chat with Eric the Red. Now, Kitty... She talks to him like they've actually met each other before, like they've crossed swords many times over. They have not. Um, and I'm, So I'm guessing that uh, hanging out on the Marvel Wiki isn't actually the same thing as reading the comics. Who knew, right? Anyway, Eric the Red manifests hard light. If you're familiar with Green Lantern, and I'm assuming many, or if not all of you are, this is kind of like red versions of Green Lantern constructs, um, and the constructs that Eric the Red is creating are doppelgangers of the Marauders, so we can enter into an extended fight scene, because of course, these pages do not waste themselves. Um, before we go too much further, I probably don't need to mention how, how little I enjoy this dialogue, right? I mean, the whole thing here seems to be that Eric the Red is keeping the Marauders from discovering a secret, right? That's kind of what the whole point of this is. All the while, he's kind of like dangling the fact that they're very close to discovering a secret that will change everything. Yeah, I mean, uh, okay, okay. Uh, now, we're also reminded here that Kitty has that Mysterium box. Uh, it just gets a mention, though. We'll see, we'll see it pop up a little bit later on. And, of course, she got that, I believe, was it... Was it the last issue of the first volume of Marauders, or was it the annual? In one of those, she got it. It don't matter, it don't matter. Anyway, we fight, and we engage in some very, very cringy smack talk for like a half dozen pages. A lot of pages wasted on, or spent on this, I should say. Um, but then, thankfully, we're saved by the info page. And it's all about the hard skin deal, the constructs, basically. The, the Kin Crimson's Green Lantern gimmick, right? Uh, we do see a note about Cerise here from Excalibur, which actually kind of fits the gimmick, so I can't really say anything bad about it. Uh, there's also a mention of Dabari 3, which is referencing the asparagus aliens that the Dark Phoenix wiped out, or, if we're using current year parlance, uh, the Broccolis, because broccoli and asparagus are indistinguishable, you see. Or because maybe some of our writers never actually bothered to read Dark Phoenix. Either way. Back to it, and we're up on Chandelar again for a chat between Xandra and Gladiator. And I tell you, this is where I started really, really losing focus for the first two or three times I attempted reading this book. I was just... I fell into full-on skim mode, to the point where I almost just ran with it. I even have an apology here in my notes saying, I'm sorry, everybody, I just lost it here. Uh, but I did, I did go back through uh, several times to try to follow this. And I do apologize for being so negative here. Um, it's nothing personal. It's just, this is not holding my attention. It's just not all that great in my opinion. Anyway, Gladiator, he confirms that the Shi'ar have a somewhat shady past, which, I mean, duh. Uh, also, that uh, there are things being kept from Xandra, and they're only being kept from her so she can, quote, rule with vision, unburdened by our people's darkest moments. I'm not sure, but I have a sneaking suspicion that this is supposed to be some sort of real-world commentary because, well, I mean, our writers are pretty much incapable of crafting stories based in pure imagination, so I'm, I'm going to assume that it has something to do with the real world. Anyway, from here, 
It's an info page, and it's our old friend the Ben Percy special. It's a page of Shi'ar dialogue that nobody felt like drawing. And it is chock full of Marvel Wiki randomizer goodness. We see a mention of Pilgrim the Red. Now, Pilgrim. Pilgrim was a, uh, a weird one. Uh, it was the big bad of an issue of uh, X-Men Volume 2. Right around the time I'd made my return to, uh, to buying comics after... My first little temper tantrum where I couldn't afford to buy all the damn gimmick covers, so I walked away back in, like, 95 or so. Uh, this was X-Men Volume 2, number 75, and I tell you, I really thought this character was going to be a much bigger deal than they wound up being. You know, it was an anniversary-ish issue, right? Uh, I was gone for a while, I just came back, and this was dropped in my lap. I really, in my head, thought this was going to be a big-time character, but, uh... No, no, not at all. Uh, There's also mention of the Ho-Din, which is a race of aliens and also a member of the Imperial Guard from one of the Vulcan miniseries, like the the Emperor Vulcan or the Kingbreaker, one of those, or maybe both of those, I don't know. There's also mention of something called the Ten Shames, which begs the question, hey, did you know that the Roman numeral for ten is an X? Hmm. Seems like we're shifting from the Ben Percy special into the Jonathan Hickman special, where... We kind of just get like a listing of sort of interesting sounding names with absolutely no reason to care or invest in any of them. Anyway, from here we go back to comics and it's more Shi'ar stuff. Uh, Gladiator and Xandra, they board her spacecraft, The Rock. Uh, Gladiator mentions that the Kin Crimson haven't been seen in centuries, which uh, I'm pretty sure we've at least seen Eric the Red a few times, though Eric the Red was kind of a uh, costume being worn. Uh, Cyclops wore it early on. Magneto wore it during the trial of Gambit. So maybe we haven't seen the real Eric the Red? I, I, who even knows? Um, perhaps, perhaps we have seen Eric the Red. Perhaps we have seen Ken Crimson, but the gimmick here, and if this is the gimmick, it works. Um, maybe it's just that Xandra doesn't know about it. Maybe the Ken Crimson, you know, lock, stock, and barrel here is one of those secrets that have been kept from her so she could, you know, rule with vision. Or whatever. Now, from here, I'm reminded that we're not done fighting with the Marauders, so how about we shift back over to that. Um, here, in the middle of the fight, a couple more Crimsonites show up. And it's Battelle and, I'd say Priz, it's P-R, uh, exclamation point Z. So we'll say Priz, why not? Uh, one of these two is a dragon, who kind of looks like Battle Cat from He-Man. Probably so we can all say, hey, that kind of looks like Battle Cat from He-Man. Because references everybody who needs story. Anyway, the dragon and the Crimson Knight burst in an atmospheric bubble which robs everyone of oxygen. Tempo is able to, I don't know, do something that keeps the O2 flowing. In the commotion, Cassandra Nova disappears. Eric the Red nearly grabs the Mysterium box. And this was the second point in the story where I... Where I started to tap. <laughs> I was I was so proud of myself for getting past that first hurdle. Uh, but then I got here and I was like, what am I even looking at? Um, it took a few tries. And I'm still not entirely sure that I actually got the point of it. It gets kind of confusing here. But I think the gimmick is that during this scene here, when all the oxygen's gone here, or, or we're on limited oxygen, I should say, I think Somnus uses his powers, his, like, dream state powers, to pull the entire team into a dream so they can get some, like, weird time-expandy rest, like, 
Like, we know that from his first appearance in the Pride special, he and uh, Dakin, Dakin, they shared a night together, but it was more like several years in one night, right? Time expandy, dream state sort of stuff here. So perhaps that's what we're getting at here. Maybe it's like you only have 30 seconds of oxygen left, but in Somnus' dreamscape, you have much more than that. And you have the opportunity to kind of plan things out. And if that is the case, that is a pretty cool little gimmick. Anyway, with the team gathered and temporarily safe, uh, Somnus references Seeker 3000 when he describes the look and design of his current dreamscape because Marvel Wiki Randomizer, uh, don't we all feel so knowledgeable about Marvel Comics history when we make these obscure references? Good grief. Um, Now, back in the real time, Cassandra Nova battles the Kin Crimson, and the Crimson Knight refers to her as Mumadri Filth. Mumadri? I don't know how to say that word. I'm pretty sure you'd recognize it if you saw it. Uh, We thankfully wrap up the issue with the Shi'ar arriving on the scene, and they find the bodies of the dreamscaped marauders floating there. It's like they're kind of just there prone. And Xandra is asked to give the order to, you know, kill them all. Which is, of course, what we in the biz call a cliffhanger. You know, killing characters who will be brought back, popping out of eggs five minutes later, if even that long. But that's where we leave it. Next episode, thank goodness, X-Men Red, number two. But for now, let's, uh, uh, I got some brief thoughts. I'm going to try to keep them as brief as possible because, I mean, I don't want to go into full-on rant mode. I don't want to repeat myself more than I already have today. Um, Suffice it to say, I did not care for this. I'm not looking forward to future issues of this. Let's parse it. Let's parse it down here. First, uh, I think I owe... X-Men Green an apology? <laughs> I, I didn't think I'd ever read anything I enjoyed less than that. Um, and I really didn't care for X-Men Green. I'm on record as saying so. I asked for everybody's opinion when I was reading X-Men Green, and 90% of the people I reached out to said, what's X-Men Green? So I, I don't think anybody was paying attention to it. I guess it's getting a printed version, so maybe more people will see it, and maybe more people will agree or disagree with whatever my silly take was, but um, one thing I will give X-Men Green, it was so infuriating that it, it kept my attention, you know? Um, it never felt... I never felt like I needed to just stop reading it. Where this... It wasn't fun. Um, I didn't find it interesting. And also, it just... It wasn't easy to read, either. Uh, the art here, in my opinion didn't do a great job of telling this story. And without the art, what we're left with is the dialogue, and, well, we've already talked about Steve Orlando's dialogue and my uh, distaste for it. Uh, I really hate that we're doing more ancient mutant stuff. Uh, you know, we're, we're very... We're such a long way from Children of the Atom, right? You know, the, the initial... Back in the Silver Age here, it's like... Mutants were one thing. And they were thought to be spun out of bomb testing and just stuff going on in the world. But here it's like the mutants have completely lost their identity. Every so often, like every few months now, we're getting like this new wrinkle. We're taking things further back and further back and further back. It's it's one thing about Marvel in current year that I, I despise is the fact that everything feels so predestined. You know, things don't happen by accident. 
you know, you got Spider-Man and the spider totems here. Was he chosen by this spider? No. <laughs> I, you know, that, that, that ruins so much of the happenstance of the story, of the magic of the story. Uh, the current uh, volume of Avengers opened up with the Avengers from 5 million BC. It, it just and, and they're all like analogs of the current Avengers or seasoned Avengers that we know and love. And it just makes everything feel so forced. You know, the Avengers came together back in the Silver Age, just a group of heroes teaming up to, to stop Loki. You know, just a, a threat that was too big for one of them to take on. They had to team up, and the team up worked, and they they, they meshed well, and they they found a calling. Now to see that it's kind of predestined, it was always supposed to be this way, it ruins it for me. It takes a lot of the fun out of it. And here with the mutants, I mean, Hickman comes in, and we have Krakoa and Arako. We have the mutants being millennia old. And now we're getting hints that there it goes back even further than that. We're going back to before Arako and Okari, or whatever the hell the island was that was split in half with the big sword. We're going back further. It, it's what are the mutants anymore? Are they? I mean, I know we're getting toward Judgment Day. Are we? Are they deviants? I mean, is there even a point? Do they have their own identity? Sure, doesn't seem like it. Now, that said, there are a couple of things that I... I'll say I liked it. I'll say I liked certain things here. I, I was trying to think of a less strong word than like, but no, I actually... These these bits I, I come away from uh, the book quite positive on. I don't like the Shi'ar. The Shi'ar are boring, but the angle that Orlando is kind of going with here is, is interesting because... Uh, you know, I did joke about it being, you know, um, maybe a little too close to real-world stuff here, but the idea that you have a, a ruler who is being kept in the dark about some shady things that have been done in, uh, in the past of their empire, of their people, that could be interesting. It really depends on how they play it going forward, but I, I do like the idea of it here. And it also kind of, uh, I think this is unintentional, but it kind of reflects what's going on on Krakoa right now. I mean, we have the Quiet Council. They're the ones in charge here. They're ruling kind of in rarefied air here, right? They, they, they know what their missions are. They know what they're supposed to be doing. They don't really bother themselves with the dirty work. You know, that's stuff that Beast and X-Force does. And the Quiet Council is like willfully ignorant of what X-Force does. They don't want to know. You know, they, they could very easily find out. There's, you know, they're all, you know, we got tele the most powerful telepaths in the world there. They could know, and maybe they do know, but they have that weird deniability where it's like, X-Force did that, we don't know about it. We can continue, quote, ruling with vision, you know, unburdened by all the shadiness and nastiness. But uh, it's interesting. It's kind of interesting. I do... Um, Sort of kind of look forward to seeing where that's going. And unfortunately, I'm pretty sure it's going to lead to a revelation that there are even more ancient mutants. But um, we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. I was also a little bit intrigued by the uh, opening pages here, where Lockheed discovered that odd Rat King body uh, in front of, I'm going to assume, one of the X-Cult um, 
church meeting area, Knights of Columbus Hall. I I I don't know, but uh, I think that could be interesting. We haven't really explored the uh, the cults uh, since this era's begun. Uh, we've seen them occasionally, and uh, I think we've had like a run in or two with them, but we haven't really explored too much of what they're all about. I think we mostly just saw the one where all the strife clones were uh, collecting babies over in uh, the cable book, but we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully there's something interesting here, which is to say, hopefully, the Shi'ar story ends very, very quickly. <laughs> so we can maybe find something that we can, or I, I, I can't speak for everybody, but um, maybe I can glom onto something because the Shi'ar stuff is just not for me. Um, what else? What else? Uh, you know, I have joked about it a lot, and perhaps I'm projecting here, but the over-reliance on the What's, it just seems like you're clicking random page at the Marvel Wiki, uh, which, like I said at the start here, I'm sure it's impressing some people, but to, to me it just really makes you seem like you're insecure about your knowledge of Marvel history. Maybe it's all part of some master plan. Maybe the more obscure the better because there's more possibilities or more opportunities with those obscure concepts and characters where you're not going to worry about ruining an IP or some ridiculous movie or Disney Plus show that Marvel has planned. I don't know. Maybe it's uh, the old uh, Scott Lobdell on uh, Marvel Comics Presents anthology where he just picked the most obscure characters as possible because he knew that would give him the less, the least editorial input. You know, the editors didn't care about uh, the Irish girl from Contest of Champions as much as they did Wolverine. So if Lobdell did a Shamrock story, I think that was her name, you know, Bob Harris and Tom DeFalco were just going to kind of let him do it. Maybe that's what Orlando's plan is here. If that's the case, more power to you. But to me, it looks like he's really searching for the cheap pop. And uh, that's just not productive, in my opinion. But again, I could be projecting. <laughs> it is always not only a possibility, but a probability. But, um... Yeah, I think that's about all I have to say for this issue. Uh, I didn't even mean to talk about it as much as I did. Um... As usual, anytime I come down this negative on a book, I always feel the urge to apologize for being as negative as I as I am. Um, not my intention. Uh, it's just kind of how this show goes sometimes. I can't promise you the show's going to be interesting. I can't promise you the show's going to be funny. I can't even promise you the show's going to be good. But I can promise you that it's going to be honest. Um, I'm going to share my honest opinions, even if I know that it's not going to be a popular one. It's, because like I say, you know, you are letting me borrow your ears for a little while every day, so um, the very least I can do is be honest and not try and clout chase or do a look at me, look at me, or try to get on any, you know, X-Men writer's Christmas card list. So that's where we'll put a pin in it here. Um, you know, your mileage may vary, and for your sake, I, I really hope it does in this case. So, uh, yeah, next time, X-Men Red. So we got one of those sandwich situations here, you know. Uh, we had X-Men, uh, we had Immortal X-Men last issue, or last episode, and next episode is X-Men Red, and then, well, we have this stopgap here. But let me stop rattling here and take it over to a brief dip into our mailbag before we cut on out. Uh, today we're talking with our pal Evan, who says... Catching up with some thoughts, including the solution to the greatest mystery of the Destiny of X era. It says, maybe Mole just got Iceman and Archangel mixed up. His eyesight's not that good anyway. Where's my bootleg no prize? 
This is a reference to Sabretooth number two or three. I think maybe it was three. Where uh, Mole was reached out to by uh, one of uh, Sabretooth's exiles and uh, was trying to spread the word about the truth of the pit. And nobody would listen to him because he's Mole. And really, who, who would you know even stop to pay attention to a character like Mole? Anyway, he talks about how he and Archangel were in a competition for the heart and mind of Opal Tanaka, which uh, is incorrect. Opal Tanaka was actually Iceman's girlfriend, but um, for whatever reason, they didn't mention that here. But Evan's theory is as good as any. <laughs> Mole's eyes are not that great, so uh, we'll give you that fake-ass note prize there, Evan. He continues, Marauders number one didn't do much for me either. Didn't we just have a storyline about like ten or so swords involving a whole bunch of mutants from a long, long time ago? And now the Marauders are off to rescue some even older mutants? Should we call them Pre-Rocco? And yes, I think we will be calling them the Pre-Rocco from this point on. Uh, I didn't read this message before going off on my rant a little while ago, but um, it, it really uh, dovetails nicely with... A lot of my observations about this issue with the you know other 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 ancient mutants. I mean, it really just feels like uh, we're we're like all out of tricks. You know, we're running out of tricks here. I'm. I was at the shop last week because um, I had to pick up a copy of uh, Judgment Day, the the you know Avengers of Eternals X Men crossover, to cover on um, the Weird Dose of X. We didn't get the comp for that issue, so I ran out and I picked it up. And I, I prefer reading physical. Anyway, I mean, I feel like reading digitally kind of takes away from the experience. So in order to have the have the best starting point, I, I like to go with the physical media because it's, I don't know, it's just more fun for me. It's the, the tactile experience is, is really adds to it for me. I'm, I'm a weird fellow. What can I tell you? But anyway, I was looking at the new release wall or like the three-month wall at the shop, and I couldn't tell you what year it is. Honestly, I, I couldn't tell you what year I was currently standing in. I'm looking at Dark Crisis from DC, where every cover that I see looks like every other crisis that we've had in the past 20 years. Like, am I looking at the cover of Rebirth? Am I looking at the cover of Infinite Crisis? It's the same crap. It's just, there's no, nothing new. Half the books on the wall are number ones. It's just... I, you know, I, yeah, I hate to be doom and gloom, but um, I, I couldn't imagine someone discovering comic books right now. I couldn't, dis I couldn't imagine me as like a ten-year-old wandering into one of those stores in current year and walking out with anything other than disappointment and maybe a Funko Pop. It, it really is sad. It really is sad that there's just nothing. There's just nothing. Um, I, I know familiarity sometimes breeds contempt, but boy, uh, it's, it's a sad state of affairs at the uh, new release wall. But um, this over-reliance on ancient mutant after ancient mutant after ancient mutant just really speaks to that to me, where there's nothing new. Nobody's interested in making anything new. It's, you know, I know a lot of people like to rag on folks like Rob Liefeld, but... I mean, he created new characters. He headed to the lore of the shared universe. And, you know, I don't know whether or not he regrets it. <laughs> he might have wanted to keep characters like Cable and Deadpool for his own creations. But the fact is, they, they're now part of a wider universe here. And they add to the lore. And we just, 
don't get anything like that anymore. All of our new characters are derivatives. Like, do we really need another Spider-Person? Do we really need another Ms. Marvel? Do we really need another whatever? It's just, here's, here's the, the eighth Robin. Great, wonderful, who cares? Here's the 87th Clown Girl variant that isn't Harley Quinn. It, it, it kind of looks like her, but it's not. It's punchline or, or pun or, or dad joke or some stupid crap that's just there to be slapped on variant covers and thrown in a plastic slab. I don't know. I really wasn't planning on being this negative. I, I do apologize. Sometimes I just get off on a roll, but um, I think that's where I'll stop. Uh, I'll thank Evan for writing in and for facilitating that last rant, but um, I think that's where I will... Uh, I'll call it an episode here. Um, now, if anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, I couldn't imagine you would, but um, if you want to, it's easy to do. You can find me several different ways. I'm on Twitter at Ace Comics, Instagram at 90sXmen, you can send an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call or text 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, Chris is on infiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. Of course, the complete audio archives are available at chrisandreggie.podbean.com and, you know, anywhere on the internet that uh, houses noise and sound. But, uh... I think that'll do it for me for today, thankfully. <laughs> um, again, apologies that this was a pretty uh, pretty negative episode. Um, like I said, I said it already just a few moments ago. I'm always going to be honest with my thoughts here, even if I know that that honesty is not going to win me any points with anybody. It's easy to say everything's awesome. It's easy to give a 10 out of 10. It's easy to tag the creators in, in your social media posts and, and get all the pats on the head, but... Uh, that's not what this show was ever going to be about. If I like it, I'll tell you. If I don't, I'll also tell you. So, mileage varies, all that good stuff. Hopefully, you like this more than I did. And of course, this is nothing personal to anybody involved in the creation of this book. I feel like I have to say that because, uh, well, this is the internet, and that's how the internet works. Um, anyway, I want to thank you all so much for indulging me for the past half hour. <laughs> It really does mean the world to me. And uh, till next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.